0: Some people thought Matthew a cunning man, because it was said he could predict who was going to die of the disease, and who was going to live. Perhaps the steward kept his distance now, not just because of the bodies, but because he had heard these stories. Matthew scratched his head. He knew every case for twenty miles around. Someone might have escaped from quarantine, but that was unlikely.' It was even less likely that the disease was still spreading. The cold sharpness in the air, the dwindling number of bodies, told him the outbreak was practically over. Matthew shook his head slowly. Horseborn, sir? Can't be. As painstakingly as he had built his small estate, Mr. Ralph had built his voice. Away from Matthew's slow burr, mimicking the cool mockery of his betters. I'm afraid it can. It's still spreading. The clouds were now edged with black, and the wind freshening. As if aware that the evening would be a short one, swifts were diving, skimming about the water-catching flies. Soon they would go, swarms of them vanishing into the sky. Just as the swifts knew when there would be no more flies, so Matthew knew— there was no plague at Horsebourne. "'I'll collect tea tomorrow!' In spite of the steward's fear, both of the bodies and the cart, and the curse Matthew might put on him, Mr. Ralph pulled his horse closer. His voice reverted to a country, flint-edged burr. "'You'll collect tea tonight!' "'There's no papers,' Matthew answered stubbornly. "'Not all the people ending up in the pit,' Had been plague victims. Nobody worried over much about the poor, but when a farmer was murdered and dumped in the pit, the watch had dinned into Matthew the importance of papers which they flourished in front of him before unsealing a plague house. And Susanna, who lived with him, had dinned into Matthew the evil of denying anyone a Christian burial whom God had not touched with the plague. From a pouch on his saddle, Mr. Ralph produced an order. He did not bother to move any closer, for he did not expect Matthew to be able to read it. The paper was enough. Afterwards, Matthew could not remember whether there was a signature, but burned in his mind was the falcon's talons clutching a shield, the seal of Lord Stonehouse, whose word was law. The wind was bending the trees above Matthew, and what was left of the sun was buried in dark clouds. It would take him an hour to get over shot over hill. He would set off in that direction, and then turn back to Oxford, pleading the next day a broken wheel or a lame horse. He went to his horses. I'd best go now, he said. You'll do it. No excuses. Matthew stared at him. The steward had a reputation of being afraid of nothing, but something had frightened him. His words came out so violently, the nosegay he was holding over his mouth dropped from his hand. But still, he pulled his horse closer. Here! There was a glint of silver in the air. Matthew caught the coin, as deftly as the swifts catching the flies. His manner changed. Thank you, sir. I will give you another at the pit. Say nothing. Do you understand? Matthew understood that two half-crowns were a crown, and that Mr. Ralph would be waiting for him at the pit to make sure he finished the job. The rain began shortly after Matthew left the meadow. it swept at him in great gusts as he swore and cut at the horses, struggling and sliding to climb upshot over at the top of the hill to lift his spirits. He took out the silver coin, a half-crown. Newly minted that year for the coronation of Charles I. It helped Matthew forget he was soaked to the skin. A half crown. More than a labourer's wages for a month, and another at the pit. He was so intent on the coin that he was only dimly aware of the approaching coach, the driver lashing the horses to pick up speed at the start of the hill. The cart, rattling and bumping down the incline, had drifted into the center of the road he yanked at the reins and sparks flew as he pulled in effectively at the brake the horses of the approaching coach reared Matthew.